open our eyes that we will see wonderful things in your law. Not only see those things, but apply those things to our lives that you be glorified, your people blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn with me once again to the gospel according to St. Matthew. And I want to just read two of the verses that Pastor Harris has read earlier. Verses 22 and 23 in the text reads, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, don't miss this. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was all alone there. On last Sunday, we began a Lenten series of sermons entitled Journeying Towards the Cross. Today, we want to continue that series, Journeying Towards the Cross. On last Sunday, we focused on uh, the temptation and dealing with temptation. Today, as we journey towards the cross, we want to focus on the discipline of silence and solitude. That's what we want to talk about today. Today, the discipline of silence and and solitude. What is the discipline of silence and solitude? The discipline of silence and solitude is the practice of being quiet and being alone with God. That's what it's about. And in the Christian context, silence and, and solitude is practice, it's the practice of being alone and quiet in the presence of God for the purpose of prayer, fellowship, and communion with God. That's what the practice of, of silence and solitude is all about. It's about getting along by ourselves for the purpose of fellowshipping, praying, communing with God. Listen to what some noted Bible scholars have had to say about the discipline of silence uh, and, and solitude. Donna Whitney said, as sleep and rest are needed each day for the soul, these disciplines, that is the discipline of silence and solitude, have a way of airing out the mind and ironing the wrinkles out of our souls. Plan to come to quiet every day to meet God in his word and through prayer. Austin Phelps add it, we may lay it down as an elementary, elemental principle of religion that no large growth, get this, no large growth in holiness was ever gained by one who did not take time to be often alone with God. What Phelps says is that those who refuse to take time to be alone with God will not grow spiritually at the rate they need to. Gene Fleming wrote, we have become a people with an aversion, that means an uncomfortableness to quiet and uneasiness with being alone. Isn't that amazing? Uh, this writer writes, we have become a people with an aversion. We push back a people with an aversion to quiet and uneasiness with being alone. Right. Dallas Willard 
refers to silence and solitude as, and I quote again, the most radical of the disciplines for spiritual life. But why is such the case? Why would Willard and others uh, refer to uh, the, the practice of silence and solitude being alone with God as the most radical of the disciplines for spiritual life. Why is such the case? Why would it be considered radical at all to spend time alone with God? Could it be that we are afraid of what God might say to us? Could it be we are concerned he will show, unveil, unmask areas in our own lives that need spiritual cleansing and perhaps spiritual healing? Could it be that we have grown comfortable and content with our own patterns of thinking and behavior to the point that we deem daily appointments alone with God unnecessary? Could it be that we love God with our lips but in reality, we spend more time alone with the television, Facebook friends and foes, emailing or surfing the web, than we spend alone with God. Just could it be? Just rhetorical questions. Until we honestly assess ourselves and appropriately face these questions, Practicing the discipline of silence and solitude will not only be offensive, it will also remain elusive. Until we come to grips with it, we, we, we not only push back and it will not only f- uh, offend us, but we'll push back from it. Right. What are some practical provisions of silence and solitude? What, what are some practical benefits of being alone in the presence of God. What, what, what's in it for us that should cause us to make the commitment to set aside time, even in our busy schedules every day, to be alone with God? In other words, someone may be asking, what's in it for me? Well, several things make it worthwhile to get alone with God each day. First, silence and solitude provides needed disengagement from voices that are temporal, voices that are temporary, in order to tune exclusively into the voice of God who is eternal. That means that we need to hear from heaven daily. All of us need to hear from heaven daily. Second, silence and solitude offers us grand opportunities to erase static from the line of our listening in order to gain guidance from God. How many of you have tried to listen to a radio broadcast or a television broadcast where there's static on the line and you're straining to hear what the person is trying to say, but there's so much static and noise until we cannot filter the message that the commentator is trying to get across to us. Well, silence and solitude offers us these opportunities to erase the static from the line and to hear from God clearly. 
disturbed silence and solitude promotes temporary detachment from secular voices. You know, secular voices that are always coming at us. Secular voices with negativity. Secular voices pushing their own agenda. Secular voices that denounce God and denounce any relationships to Jesus Christ. We get an opportunity to to temporarily detach from secular voices in order to better hear the Savior's voice. Sometimes we need to detach ourselves from the secular in order to hear the Savior. Fourth silence and solitude provides periods of relief from noise. I don't know about you, but I need periodic relief from noise. We live in a world that's very noise is all around us from the time that we wake up until the time that we go to bed at night. But silence and solitude provides periods of relief from noise, thus fostering a sacred place, fostering that sacred place deep within us where the voice of God is heard and welcomed. That voice of peace, that voice of consolation, that voice of encouragement that we need to hear, that voice of affirmation. Feel silence and solitude provides an avenue by which the hungering and thirsting of our souls to be in closer union with God can be satisfied. Uh, when you have, uh, when you, uh, have a, a love relationship with somebody, perhaps your spouse, your, your children, nothing satisfies the longing in your heart to build that closeness like spending time alone with that person. Think about it. When you love somebody, you want to spend time alone with them. In fact, you can't get enough time alone with them. So as Jesus journeyed towards the cross and as he engaged life and as life confronted him, he actively participated in the discipline of silence and solitude. He practiced that. Jesus practiced being alone with God and hearing the voice of God. Yes, Jesus was intentional. Underscore that word. He was intentional about pulling away from the crowds who constantly demanded his time and his attention. His disciples, uh, for periods, uh, he pulled away, rather, and practiced the discipline of being alone with God for periods of time in order to commune with his heavenly Father. Now, since Jesus practiced disengaging from the crowd in order to engage one-on-one with the Father, how much more should we, his followers, do the same thing? How much much more, how much more intentional we should be about? If Jesus did it, if Jesus practiced disengaging from the crowd, pushing back from his disciples, getting away from his people, getting away from the demands of life, the busy schedule, how much more should we, his followers, do the same? When remaining of my time, I want us to notice five scriptural snapshots of Jesus getting away, getting alone with God. And after each of these biblical accounts, Jesus emerged 
from his position of silence and solitude strengthened and encouraged for the journey. In other words, every time he pulled away to be alone with God, he came back with more power to do what it was God had commissioned him to do. And likewise, the 21st century reality is this. If we want to be strengthened and if we want to be encouraged for our journeys, solace and solitude must be an agenda priority. This reminds me of Dr. William Boney, my systematic, instruct, uh, systematic theology instructor in, in seminary, and I was having trouble with systematic theology and I went to Dr. Ralph Reavers and I said, Dr. Reavers, I'm having an issue with this class. And Dr. Reavers saw right through my lame excuses. He understood that I was not studying. And he said, Linnell, he said, there is no easy way. He says, you got to study. And so it is with us. If we want to get closer to God, there is no easy way. We got to pull away and spend time alone. With God. Now, I understand that as students of the Bible, you want to behold biblical truth for yourselves. So, here are scriptural examples of Jesus untangling himself from the demands of the world for a set period of time for the purpose of being alone with God in prayer. And each time he emerged from his personal and his private engagement with God, uh, with each time he emerged, something of significance took place. First, Luke 6 and 12. Now, it came to pass in those days that he, signifying his aloneness, went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer with God. After a time of silence and solitude in which Jesus prayed, notice what he did. He selected his leadership team. Verse 13 says, and when it was day, that is, after his period of being alone with God, he selected his leadership team. When it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose 12 whom he named apostles. How significant is that? Jesus models the biblical principle of getting away from the crowd, getting away from popular opinion and opinion polls, getting away from the experts, the gurus, the advisors, getting away from ABC, NBC, CBS, Fox, and all human specialists and getting along with God in, in order to get God's eternal perspective on our verdicts, our choices, and our decisions. That's what Jesus did. Can't you hear the crowd saying, well, Jesus, choose this one, and Jesus, choose that one, and Jesus, he would be good to be with you. Jesus, she would be a great asset to your ministry. But what he did was he pulled away, sought God. Then he came back and made his selections. Now, experts have their views. Specialists have their analysis. Highly qualified spokespeople have their assessments, but none of them should come before or in lieu of having a private consultation with God. Be it on marriage, be about family, 
be it about careers, be it about health, whatever the case may be, we should always spend time alone with God to gain his perspective. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 points out the reasons. For my thoughts, God says, are not your thoughts, nor your ways, my ways. Says the Lord, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How do we best come to know the man of God? By spending time alone with him. Second, Matthew 14, 22 23 reveals immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, that is, when he had disengaged himself from the crowd, from the demands of his work. Yes, he was busy, but he disengaged. The Bible says he went up on the mountain, get this, by himself. To pray. Now, don't miss this. When evening came, he was there, underscore the words, all alone. Silence, solitude, quiet, by himself, in the presence of God. Now, although Matthew's gospel does not reveal the content of the conference between Jesus and the Father, I believe the text supports the idea that it may have had something to do with the lack of Peter's faith and doubt concerning Jesus. Notice verse 22. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, that's about 3 a.m., Jesus went to them walking on the sea. In verses 26 to 30, it tells us that Peter requested of the Lord, Jesus, allow me to come to you walking on the water. Jesus honors his request, but when Peter begins walking, he took his eyes off Jesus, apparently focusing on the wind, being concerned about the conditions, and he began to sink. And crying out, he said, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretches out his hand, saves Peter, and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? All of this drama coming on the heels of silence and solitude. The silence and solitude of Jesus in the text sheds light on the importance of spending time alone with God in order to effectively face unexpected storms, drama, trauma, difficulty, challenges, chaos, and confusion in order to face, effectively face, the unexpected storms and unfaithful people. Oh, you of little faith, why are you behaving? In this unfaithful, ungodly way. There will be times when we face unexpected storms. Challenges. And there will be times when we face unfaithful people. 
Yet Jesus teaches us that preparation for these encounters are not made, get this, momentarily or sporadically. That's what Jesus teaches us. In order to prepare, you don't get prepared for unexpected storms and unfaithful people in a moment. Or you don't make preparations every once in a while. But rather these preparations are made doing deep, abiding, and personal prayer meetings alone with God. That's what Jesus is teaching. I believe that to be, believe the sentiment of C. Austin Miles, who wrote, I come to the garden alone, that's solitude, while the dew is still on the roses, that's silence, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, and he walks with me during your times of silence and solitude, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there all alone. None other has ever known. There's nothing like spending time alone with God. Third, Mark 1, 35-37 recounts, Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daybreak, he went out and departed to Underscore in your Bibles, a solitary place, a lonely place. And there he prayed. Now get this. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Got up in the morning, realized that Jesus was gone. They began to search for him. And when they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you as if to say there is something wrong with you spending time alone. Why aren't you with the crowd? Why did you pull away from us? Listen carefully. Family, friends, co-workers, classmates, and the like were constantly placed demands upon our time. Yet we, like Jesus, need to deliberately, unapologetically, and unashamedly carve out a place and a time to be alone with God for the purpose of prayer. We need not fool ourselves into thinking that we are so important, that we are so busy, that, that there's so many demands on us that the world will stop if we are not in place to keep it running. And should someone suffer from delusions of grandeur about this matter, if it's difficult to comprehend this realism, try retiring, try resigning, try quitting, or stop doing what it is you're doing, and the world will move right along without you and without me. This text teaches us not to be lured away from silence and solitude by Bad into people's false assessments of not being able to function without us. 
people can and will function without us. They can do it. Don't think they can. Fourth Luke 4, 42 recounts. Now, when it was day, he departed, and get this now, underscore, and went into a deserted place. A place where he could be by himself with God. A place where there was no one else around. What's your deserted place? Is it your prayer closet? Is it your bedroom? Is it your personal study? Is it in the park someplace in your car, in your truck? A deserted place. No one else around but you and God. And once again, notice, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. Again, Jesus eludes the crowd in order to be alone with God. But when he comes out of this deserted place, when he comes out of his time of solitude and silence, and when he appears in public again, he clarifies his purpose in verse 43 saying, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Because for this purpose, I have come. Then in verse 44, he carries out his purpose by preaching in the synagogues and in Galilee. Now observe closely as I prepare to close. The calculated movements of the master. The systematic steps of the Savior. Notice. First, there was privacy. Then there was purpose. After which came the preaching. The message is clear. God's desire is for his people to meet with him in private in order to gain his perspective, which prepares us to participate more fully in his purposes. Let me say that again. God's desires, that's what silence and solitude is about. That's what meeting in private with God is about. God desires for his people to meet with him in private, all alone, nobody else around. There are times for public meetings and public worship like we're doing now, but God desires for us to be alone with him one-on-one. In order to gain his perspective, not the perspective of family and friends, not perspective of the world. Those things may have their place and in some cases have validity. But God wants us first and foremost to gain his perspective, his viewpoint, his attitude, his idea, his ways. First and foremost, which prepare us. To participate in his purposes. The question is, will we follow the example of Jesus as he journeyed to the cross? Will we get along with God daily and submit to his guidance? 
Will we sing the sentiments of the old hymn writer who penned the words, lead me, guide me along the way? For if you lead me, I cannot stray. Lord, help me live each day with thee. Lead me, oh Lord, lead me. Some of the greatest leading that God has done in my life and some of the greatest leading that God will do in your lives is when you get all alone with him and hear his voice. 